Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House of Hinky Built podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I'm hosting this on Spotify Greenroom. Hope everyone is enjoying the start of their week. Uh, as I record this, we are officially three weeks out from the start of Sixers training camp, uh, which means we're about six weeks out from uh, the season kicking off. But uh, the plan today is to bring on Raj C., who uh, does some Sixers, Lakers content excuse me, at Lakers Outsider and is the co-host of the State of the Lakers pod. Uh, if you see any of his stuff, you've probably seen his fantastic video work on Twitter. Go give him a follow on Twitter at Unwritten Rules. And the second E, the E in rules, is a three, so it's unwritten rule three S. Uh, there's a bunch of good video work. But we're going to talk about the Lakers today, get some thoughts on the Sixers from him. Uh, you know, obviously he uh, he's familiar with Andre Drummond, so we'll get his impressions on Andre's stint uh, with LA as you know, as that pertains to projecting his role with the Sixers. But um, Raj is in the room now. Uh, we're going to get started. Excited to talk about some uh, some Lakers and Sixers stuff with him. Hey, Raj, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? I can. Perfect. We had a awesome. little bit of a hiccup on the first run, but we are we are good to go. How are you doing today? I am doing well, man. Sorry about that. I don't know why it, it cut off or cut on, but yeah, I'm doing well. Thank, thank you for coming on on West Coast time. I know it's a little late over there, but you know the the day's just starting here in in the West Coast. So no worries. Uh, yeah, uh, appreciate appreciate you coming on, and uh, yeah, no, don't have to apologize. It definitely was not your fault. It's probably something with the glitch in the software, whatever, sometimes it happens. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about the Lakers today. We'll get some thoughts on the Sixers. Obviously, you're familiar with Andre Drummond and his stint in L.A. Um, yeah. You know, he's – and maybe we'll talk about Dwight Howard a little bit. You know, we kind of <laughs> – the Lakers and Sixers kind of kind of swapped backup centers or, you know, whatever, whatever role Andre ideally would have had if AD was healthy um, right. whatnot, whatever Dwight will maybe do. But, um, obviously, the big headliner with the, with the Lakers – keep saying the Sixers. My goodness, I need to, need to weed that out. We're talking Lakers today uh, for the most part. But – uh, the big move was, you know, the addition of Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russell Westbrook, excuse me. Um, I, I'm just curious, kind of. I'm sure you've talked about this in depth. It's been almost a month now, or over a month since you know that trade happened. But um, what do you make of it? Like, how do you think he will be deployed offensively? How will they approach trying to balance and kind of harmonize, you know, this this star trio of LeBron, AD, and Russ? Um, just kind of your general thoughts of it, and then we can get some of the nitty gritty about you know, usage and, you know, kind of the ripple effect of, of his addition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you remember, like we first were reportedly going to get Buddy Healed, right? So I kind of mm-hmm. dove into all this Buddy Healed film. And then, mm-hmm. you know, after that, that, that kind of got taken away. And it was, it was eventually Russell Westbrook uh, was the guy that they went and got. And Russell Westbrook's been in the league a long time, right? Like he's not the guy that you have to kind of wonder who he is. And I think that's the main thing here. I see a lot of people talk about, you know how he'll adjust to LeBron and AD, and that's all true. You're just me looking out from the like the big larger view. Russell Westbrook is coming here to be Russell Westbrook. Like there's no qualms about it. He's gonna come and do what he does. He's gonna there's gonna be some times where he takes bad shots, but I think this is a big kind of like way to take the load off LeBron right in the regular season. Give him a mm-hmm. full time ball handler, a full time playmaker. Um, Dennis Schroeder tried to kind of fill that role, but like, he he wasn't the guy I guess for them, and they didn't really trust him eventually down the stretch so Russell Westbrook will, will definitely take the ball out of LeBron's hands um, he'll really get him in transition to me I think he helps AD the most AD is a guy mm-hmm. you know like he, he is a superstar in the in himself but he has a sometimes he can really float and Russell Westbrook mm-hmm. is a guy that he's on all the time he has a <laughs> I call him I, I say he has a generational motor right like especially on offense he's a guy that always yeah. pushes the ball 
even watching with the Wizards, there will be nobody in the crowd, and it's like a Tuesday game in Orlando, and he's going and dunking and screaming into this empty abyss. Like, that's just <laughs> the kind of guy Westbrook is, and he kind of raises your floor, lowers your ceiling in that way. But it's interesting throwing him to, like, this superstar-laden team with AD and LeBron. <laughs> he's never really been kind of this third option, right? And, and third option is only a name. I see a lot of people also say, like, he'll be the third option. He's the third best player, right? But, I mean, when, mm-hmm. when a guy has the ball in his hands that much, He's going to be the main option. Those kind of my larger takes there. Um, he's a super polarizing player, right? And, and <laughs> if, if anyone says they know what's going to happen, they they kind of don't. This is a whole new. <laughs> this is a whole new thing. We can kind of theorize this, and and we're getting started here pretty soon. But yeah, those are kind of my theories on it, and my main kind of first takes with Westbrook. Yeah, and I think yeah, the, I think distinguishing you know the, the offensive motor is absolutely the thing that runs hot most of the time with Russ. You know, the defense. You know, it, we'll we'll get into that, but it's. Uh, it's not great, especially off the ball, but offensively, the motor is absolutely there, you know, 98% of the time. And I like mm-hmm. the point you make just conceptually about AD is, you know, he's a guy who, you know, at times, yeah, his, his demeanor can't, you know, or his personality can kind of sometimes float into how he plays on the court where he just, he doesn't, he doesn't disappear necessarily because he's a seven foot human who moves like a six, five wing. But, um, you, there are times where he just, you know, he doesn't quite, bring you know bring it every night and that's something I mean, that's how every superstar is that way but um you know especially with a team like the lakers who are you know a little more top heavy than, than every other team especially now um you, you need you need ad to bring it uh, not every night in the regular season but obviously in the playoffs and i like that kind of what russ can bring because he has that fire and and specifically what i like is is how well russ has always paired with a with a very good play finisher you know peak steven adams before he kind of deteriorated physically to an extent was great right. with Russ because Russ is such a good interior passer with the shovel, the shoveling, the drop-offs. Daniel Gaffer was awesome last year post, post-trade post deadline with Russ um, because Russ can get downhill so often. Uh, and AD is, is the best of those three by, by a wide margin, of course. And um, he's, you know, he's arguably the best play finisher in the NBA. I mean, it's, you can say whoever you want, but he's in that discussion. Um, you saw how well he's paired with LeBron when, you know, when both those guys are healthy and playing at full strength. Um, and so I like that pairing a lot. Um, but just yeah, getting kind of in the, the big kind of the, again, the grand view of it, like he's just a guy, like he's, he's the equivalent of an inning leader, right? Or a, a running back who can really kind of give you 300 carries a, a night or not a, night, right. as, as a season. <laughs> um, I think that that's important because, you know, not that LeBron is like, you know, by any means finished, but this is now twice in three years where he's had a pretty significant injury, which wasn't really the case with LeBron prior to the, you know, that, I mean, I think he had one, I want to say a back injury is his first his first year returning to Cleveland that kept him out for a bit, but he's never had this twice in three years where you know it was a, I think it was a groin his first year right, um, mm-hmm. and then right. the ankle injury, um, and so that's not to say any like I'm not going to doubt LeBron, but like I think it helps to have a guy who can give you a you know if you need on a night he can give you a 38 percent usage and LeBron can give you the 23 percent usage where he's just finding cutters, hitting threes, finding spot up shooters, and, and not taxing himself as much um, because especially last year with with AD kind of reeling for some injuries in the bubble and some post in a short postseason or off season, excuse me, uh, LeBron had such a huge workload. And that's part of why he was a, you know, one of the main candidates for MVP before he went down because he was playing really, really awesome basketball. But, um, and yeah, the Solomon Hill, the injury involving Solomon Hill um, was just kind of an outlier thing. But point being is that you, LeBron was being stretched a ton. And I think Russ will help a lot there. Um like maybe like X's and O's. What are you most excited about or intrigued by uh, with the addition of Russ? Um, it kind of because obviously that's kind of your forte. You do such good film work and schematics and whatnot. But what do you when you've broken down some of the film with Russ? What are you intrigued by that, that he can offer that maybe 
this version of the Lakers hasn't had, you know, over the last two seasons. Yeah, for sure. And before I go to that, like, just speaking on your innings eater point, like, it's funny, that's 100% true. Russ is definitely an innings eater. But usually inning eater guys are reserved for, like, role guys, right? Like, last year, they brought in Montrez Harrell, which who was 100% inning innings eater guy, right, in the regular season. But mm-hmm. he's a guy that you can't just not play him. You can you can kind of not play him in the playoffs, right? He's a role player. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook is going to be playing 35 to 40 minutes in the playoffs. It's going to be Russ, Braun, and AD. So he is an innings eater. But, like, inning, inning eater guys, you can usually kind of – go away from them in the playoffs. But Russ is a guy that's going to be in the rotation for sure. And just going with, like, X's and O's, going into it, talking to people in Houston um, about, like, his fate with James Harden, right? That's another super ball handler guy that uh, mm-hmm. he had to play with. James Harden is not LeBron, obviously, but still one of the best playmakers in the league. And they say that, yeah, Russ can play off the ball, but he doesn't want to, right? That's not something <laughs> he really wants to. Like, Russ wants to be an on-ball creator. He wants to ball, have the ball in his hands. Like, he... He's been an MVP doing that. He's had over 30 usage, like, in the last few years. So, like, can he? Yes, but, like, expecting him to be off the ball, I think that's a different thing. Like, to me, Mm -hmm. I feel like LeBron is going to be the one who's going to be making the more adjustment. And, look, Russ is a fantastic offensive rebounder. You know, he can help in that. I I feel like I like what Houston in the playoffs a little bit. They kind of inverted their offense, right, where Russ is the center. And so, like, he can be the screener there. And I think there are – there is high potential for that. Russ just hasn't shown – that he's wanted to do that in the last few years. And Washington's a tough place to kind of look at. I think Beal, again, Beal's a super high-end scorer, but he's not a guy you just need to throw the ball to, right? Russ is the one kind of controlling the action mm-hmm. a lot of times when yeah. you watch these Wizards game. And in and Houston, Harden did have the ball, but it was kind of a my-turn-your-turn thing uh, where Russ was able they kind of spread the floor. They traded their center in Compella and just had a five-out offense where <laughs> Russ can kind of attack the rim. And, and he just stopped shooting threes in Houston. And I'm interested to see if he'll do that here. But that's kind of where my X is another thing. Where I think it will really thrive is the AD Russ pick and roll. That's where mm-hmm. I'm very excited about. Last year when LeBron went off the floor, even with all the additions, even with Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, we still just could not keep up when LeBron left the court. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's just a thing with LeBron teams. But I'm really excited for that Russ AD kind of. Uh, with the, We'll get into, I guess, the Laker players, but like Wayne Ellington or, you know, just some shooters on the side. Like, mm-hmm. to me, Russ was, you know, feeding, you said, Daniel Gafford. Um I feel like he's got Steven Adams a couple contract, you know, like he really mm-hmm. helps out big men. Um, and I think AD is the best big man he's ever played with. It's probably, oh, Adams yeah. And, it's, yeah. yeah, it's probably Adams and a young and a young Ibaka, right? And however, yeah. Yeah. And however you think of those two, they're not in the tier of AD as a finisher. So that's where I'm, I think, I think Russ is one of the best lob passers ever. Like he, he used to find Jeremy Grant on cuts and I think he'll find LeBron in that way. Um, and, and that's what I'm excited for in the X's and O's, but this team's going to be in transition, man. It's going to look ugly mm-hmm. sometimes in the half court. <laughs> you know, you have three guys who want to attack the rim. I mean, AD can shoot jump shots, right? Like he can, but if AD's shooting jump shots, he's no longer Anthony mm-hmm. freaking Davis, right? He's a big man who shoots jumpers. Like the defense kind of, you know, we'll live with that. Same with LeBron, right? LeBron also can hit jumpers, but he wants to get to the rim too. And then Russ is Russ, obviously. But I think this team's going to live in transition and, and then uh, try to play off that and see what they can make. But I think the Russ AD bench lineups are, are what I'm most excited for. Yeah, I think, you know, I really I like the Russ AD stuff with the bench because, you know, AD obviously can shoot jumpers. You saw how proficient he was, you know, every year in the playoffs, basically. But obviously, you know, it kind of coalesced with their title run. Um, yeah. But but what you want with AD is for is for the driving game for the driving game to set up the jumper, right? Because he's got such a fluid handle and he can get downhill against most big men. Like you want teams to have to sag off, and then he shoots a jumper, right? Rather than just 
giving the ball in the mid post when LeBron's off the floor. So you want to avoid that as much as possible. Like you can get, you know, I mean, if you need it in a pinch, you can do it. But like now you've got Russ who can relentlessly attack the rim. You know, as we mentioned, is really good interior pass. They're going to put shooters around him. Um, that's, that was kind of the, the broad theme of this, this team or this off season was like, okay, we trust that we can build a really good defense with Vogel as our head coach and LeBron and AD are two best defensive players. Uh, and I think it's I, like, I will get into it, but I think that's going to be fine. Like, I think, they were so good defensively last year, despite AD and LeBron playing roughly half the year. Mm-hmm. Um, number one defense. Um, like, I think they're going to be fine. I think a lot of people, like, I think they're obviously, they're absolutely genuine, like, concerns with the Lakers overall. But I think people are like, oh, where's the defense going to come from? It's like, like, do we watch them last year? Like, it's like, they were incredible. And so like, going for a more offensively inclined roster around AD and LeBron, who obviously are offensively inclined in some ways themselves, makes a ton of sense. But yeah, I really like the idea of the bench units. Um, I think limiting how, you know, limiting AD's self-creation without LeBron on the floor, I think is ideal. Um, not because I don't think he can self-create because I think, but just sometimes that he'll, he lulls himself into those jumpers, which look really awesome. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, when he has a three for 10 day on mid-range jumpers, it's a little tougher because he can usually get to that at least five feet and in, you know, most of the time with his handle and fluidity against big men. So I think having another ball hand, like a legit ball handler, because, Schroeder at his best has always worked off of other ball handlers and, you know, yeah. LeBron was out for part of the year, you know, you in Atlanta when he was the main guy after kind of that core dissolved, he wasn't great, but in OKC alongside CP and, and Shea, he was awesome. So um, I think Russ is obviously more equipped to handle that, that big workload, but um, you know, you mentioned kind of the shooting and, you know, maybe the, the kind of the Russ playing off the ball and whatnot. And what I, what I like more about this fit is like, yeah, Russ had to play a lot off the ball in Houston um, but then, you know, what, I mean, you know, full well, like then when, when the Lakers and Rockets played in that second round series, the Lakers were like, all right, we'll just take out, we'll just take out Harden and Harden for all of his great <laughs> exploits is not much of an off ball player where, you know, some of that's Dan Tony, you know, preferring for him to stay out of the action and draw his defender with him. But Rush just wasn't capable of, you know, being that lead option. And, you know, AD did such a good job against Russ in that series. Yeah. Um, but LeBron, but LeBron will play off the ball. Like if, if a team, you know, finds a way to force the ball into Russ's hands, LeBron will say, "Okay, I'll post up, I'll cut, I'll be a roller." Like, you know, he still has sometimes where he's not as like engaged off the ball, but he's much he has a much higher degree off the ball than Harden does. So I like that fit a lot. Um, you know, of course, the off ball game is something that Russ could always be an explosive cutter, but it's it's always been a hypothetical. But um, the thing I do want to talk about, which I kind of got off topic before trying to try to introduce, is. <laughs> What do you make of the rest of the guard rotation? Because there's a lot of options. You know, Russ will obviously play, but they have Kendrick Nunn. They have Malik Monk. They just signed Rondo. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker just got a big deal. Um, you know, Wayne Ellington, you mentioned. Like, you know, Wes Matthews is still an open roster spot, I believe. Like, he's a guy that I know said, said he wanted to come back. Exit interviews a few months ago. So, like, how do you see it shaking out? Like, how do they go about this guard rotation? Because there's, there's, there's some overlapping skill, but there's a lot of distinct players who offer different things. So, like, do you think it'll kind of be a pretty fluid situation early on? They'll try and figure out the right configuration, or what do you what do you make of this? Like, how do they maximize all of it? Because you know, LeBron, AD, and Russ, you know, they need shooting around them, but they also need different types of players too. It's not just a spot up shooter; there's a lot more nuance to it. So, how do you how do you kind of envision this guard rotation shaking, or how do you want it to shake it ideally too? Yeah, so like just looking at it from like how they kind of gave out the contracts, I like so Kendrick Nunn was the guy that they paid more than the minimum. They gave him pretty much their taxpayer MLE, and I expect mm-hmm. him to be the pretty much prototypical backup point guard. Um, I, I call him like a kind of backup type of. He, he has a similar type of game to Russ, 
right? He's like a very athletic guard. Obviously, he's not the same player, but like he's very athletic, wants to get to the rim. Um, he can shoot off the dribble. He, he's very dynamic. He can play the two um, next to Russ. I think he'll be in the rotation. And then from there, it's kind of up in arms, to be honest. You'll see for in camp, like Rondo has said he's not going to play, but I mean, we've seen in past kind of places where Ron- if Rondo doesn't play, he's not. Like, I don't think Rondo is just going to sit on the end of the bench. Like, he's not going to be Jared Dudley, right? Like, he's talked about how he's going to play less, but uh, we'll see, um, especially in the playoffs. Um, and then Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, I think that's spot up for grabs, honestly, whoever plays mm-hmm. the best in camp. Um, THT had an amazing camp, uh, preseason last year. Uh, people kind of forget, but and then he was in the rotation. Like, he took Wes Matthews minutes last year as a second-year guard. So, um, mm-hmm. he's another guy, like, THT uh, – just looking at him, like, from his summer videos, which however you can take from that, he looks kind of like a wing now. Like, he's lost a lot of weight. He looks like his, he has the length He has the length of a wing. He's like a 7'2 wingspan. But, uh, but, again, he's like – but he wants to be a guard, right? He's like a guy who likes to put the ball on the floor. Um, the jumper's not really there yet, so he really wants to attack. So, and THC, they paid as a rotation guy. They gave him a three-year, $30 million deal. Like, that's, that's almost like the fourth highest player on this team. <laughs> if you just look at it, if you go from Russ, Braun, AD to, like – THT, which is, or might even be Luol Deng. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, who, who I think is getting paid one last year. But yeah, like it, I, my favorite pickup from those honestly was Wayne Ellington because we've never really had a shooter that can move like that. KCP was our designated shooter, but he's not a guy that flies off screens, right? He's not a guy that's Wayne mm-hmm. Ellington's a super technical shooter where like he can yeah. come off two down screens and just fire. And pairing that with a screener like AD just opens so much in the offense. A guy that you have to stick with like that. KCP is more of a spot up guy. He was great in his role, but he's not a guy that can fly off pitch mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. And then Malik Monk. I mean, he had a good couple of months in, in Charlotte. Um, but again, when you get guys for the minimum for, like that, it's for a reason. Like he said, he did take less, but you know, he has some holes in his game. He's like, a, he's kind of like a microwave scorer to me. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll see if he can crack the rotation, but to me, it'll be Wayne Ellington, um, Kendrick Nunn, a little bit of Rondo. And then from there, uh, guys kind of have to beat other guys and, and then THT as well. But, and then the other guys kind of have to fit in where they can. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you know KCP obviously like, you know, he's mostly a spot up shooter, but you can do you can do kind of the slide screen stuff, maybe the occasional pin down. But yeah. he's not Wayne Ellington where he's he's flying off of the floppy sets and and twisting his body in midair. I mean, like Wayne is one of the the best like comfortable off movement shooters we have in the NBA, uh, right. and you know I, I think that you know. I'm curious to see, like, you know, they'll have to cobble some pretty good de- defense around him. Of course, you know, you always have a pretty good defense with AD, LeBron, and Vogel. Like, that is a phenomenal defensive duo and then, you know, defensive coach, of course. Um, but I think, yes, that's the thing is, Ellington, you know, I, I wonder, like, I wonder, like, what do you do in the playoffs? Because, you know, Ellington, I think, is a, is very much a viable rotation on the regular season. But I do wonder about the defense kind of in the, in the second round and beyond. I think, you know, if any team is equipped to figure it out, it is – it is this one with, you know, two defensive superstars at their peak and, and Vogel. Um, but I think that's something you're going to have to be really careful about is just making sure. Um, because the guard re- guard rotation defensively is, is not particularly good. The guys we mentioned, I mean, I think like, you know, we mentioned Wes Matthews, but he's not even on the roster right now. This You know, it's kind of a projection thing based off just they have an open roster spot and that he said right. he wanted to come back. Um, like the best defender there, I think, honestly, is Malik Monk, and he's more of a team defender. And I know like – on-ball defense is not the most important. Like, there, you need it, but it, you know, it can be overestimated and things like that. But, like, you're not looking at a lot of guys that you can say can, like, can you, like, get around a screen for us and, like, contain a pick and roll in conjunction with LeBron or AD. Um, you know, I think kind of your best perimeter defenders, you know, right now are, are Kemp Bazemore and Trevor Ariza. Like, is, like, do you have any, like, 
how do you think they go about kind of constructing the point of attack defense? Because they're going from having KCP and Caruso and, you know, and, and whatnot. Uh, I'm forgetting someone else. I mean, even Kuzma was a pretty, you know, good switch defender, you know, his last couple of years um, to now a lot of guys who aren't great in that regard, you know, beyond Bazemore and Ariza who are, you know, very much kind of, you know, Bazemore is good from three last year, but largely they're kind of one way wings uh, these days. But so like, how, how do they go about cobbling together the proper, you know, defensive, you know, perimeter defense, um, you know, and, and make sure that they're still not like, they're not just crunch for spacing. Um, because, you know, you mentioned kind of none, like a, a none Russ backcourt defensively, even though there's some offensive firepower just will not work de- like defensively. It just is too, too limited. So how, do, how would you try and go about making sure that like, you don't like, y- yeah, you got Russ to make sure that AD and LeBron are overextended offensively, but now how do you go about making sure they're not overextended defensively uh, to try and they're not trying to salvage like the eighth ranked defense because I think they can still be top five, top four. Like, you know, I would be, I would put a pass them to be really, really high end because that's how good they are. But like, how do they go about that in your eyes? Because they don't, they do have pretty limited point of attack defenders beyond kind of a reason and Bazemore, both of whom I think were pretty good on the ball last year in their, in their respective spots. Yeah, for sure. That That's the probably the toughest thing about the season is, is the defense. Um, we had a lot of guys go out who were, um, really great point of attack defenders, right? Really ball hawk type of guys. Even you know Dennis Schroeder got a lot of crap. Yeah, I, for, I knew that guy. I was forgetting a guy there. Yeah, but but he was a really good defender for us, and he's a guy that picks up full court. And I'm not expecting Russ to pick up full court, right? He's Russell Westbrook, like he's not doing that, like like Dennis Schroeder is, and Alex Crusoe as well. Just a great point of attack guy who can fight over screens. KCP was our best like lock and trail guy, right? Like mm-hmm. he really chases over. Um, we and like we did a lot of drop coverage there, give a lot of back pressure on guards guys like Damian Lillard we would kind of you know pressure from the back because we had guys who knew how to stick to them this year we have a lot more wing dudes right Kendrick Nunn's our only like other real guard but other than that everyone's like a 2-3 playing 3-4 and I think we're going to do a lot more switching this year um that's mm-hmm. what it feels like other than the the guys chasing a lot more switching in the regular season um with kind of guys like Ariza, Bazemore, um, Ellington's kind of tough to do that with and and you talked about it you're gonna have to surround those guys with good defenders um to me again it comes back to like Russell Westbrook as well right he's at the point of the attack um how locked in is he um he's a dude that like gambles a lot right he goes for steals mm-hmm. a lot um and again in like in this type of defense um I'm, I'm interested to see him with kind of Frank Vogel because they have a really kind of strong type of defense that they play um, especially with AD on the back line. Um, Russ hasn't really had a guy, again, maybe like Ibaka, but with AD on the back side. And, and to me, they're going to play a center next to him. So um, see how that works. But yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more switching this year. All our kind of point mm-hmm. of attack defenders went out. Bazemore's a good defender. He's not like that level. He's still kind of older as well, but um, he's a guy I think he's probably going to be our best kind of point of attack <laughs> defender. Ariza's 35. I don't expect him to do that <laughs> in, the, in the regular season. Maybe in the playoffs you can throw him on these wings, right, these Paul Georges, these Kawhis um, mm-hmm. for possessions and, and live with it. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of where you have to go. Carmelo Anthony, we haven't talked about him yet. Like, he's going to play, <laughs> yeah. and he yeah. doesn't help you defensively either. So, like, that, like that's kind of the conundrum I think Vogue is going to have to figure out. Um, they had the number one defense last year you talked about with a lot of musical chairs going in the regular season. Um, but I think this is another bigger challenge for them. Uh, mm-hmm. The uptick in offense should kind of balance out that downtick in defense is what I'm seeing there. So mm-hmm. even if they're not number one, they're like six or seven, but that offense takes the jump that it can, then I think it'll be fine. But you're right, the defense is going to be the big question there because Ellington's a guy who's going to get picked on in the playoffs. Um, Kendrick Nunn could as well. We're in kind of this league where, you know, it's matchup. You're as good as your worst defender, right? Mm-hmm. Like kind of, um, that's kind of how the playoffs kind of work. So, so it's interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, 
and I, I do, you know, we've mentioned some of the big men Russ would play with. I, you know, not that you did intentionally, but we do want to mention Clint Capella. Like the Russ never, Russ yeah. didn't quite find a stride until the Capella trade happened, but Capella's obviously, you know, a very good center. Was down last year for some things, but um, don't want to exclude him for anyone who, any Capella supporters who are listening. Uh, we don't want to, <laughs> don't want to slight him or them. But uh, yeah, I mean, you might like last year the Lakers obviously it was health related for the most part, but like they were 24th in offense. And so like, like that's, mm-hmm. you just, I mean, you just can't win that way. And you saw, you saw how much they throw in the playoffs, largely because LeBron was not at full strength because AD missed half the series, but um, you saw how much they struggled uh, in offense. And so I think you definitely kind of, Tilt the scales a little more balanced. Um, I mean, I, I, I would, I would be quite surprised, honestly, if this team falls outside of the top eight or nine defensively. Like, I just am so confident in what I've seen from them last year um, mm-hmm. that I think they will be really good. But if they can, if they can be seventh in in defense and seventh in offense, like you're, you're, I mean, you probably want to be a little higher if you're really aiming for the title contention tier. But I think they could be. But that's just I'm kind of shooting roughly there. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, but what you're mentioning Baysmore and Reza, both of whom I do, I really do think are good on-ball defenders, not that you're saying otherwise, but I think kind of the undercurrent of what you're saying is that, like, you don't want to rely on them to be your 34 minutes a night guys in the wing, right? I mean, like, Baysmore, right. he's he's good defensively. Like, I, I tweeted about him a couple of days ago, and, you know, a lot of the re, their recant or the, you know, their response was he fouls a lot, which he does. He plays physically, but, like, if you play him 20 minutes a night, like, three fouls, two fouls in those minutes, like, it's whatever. Like, he's he's good defensively. Mm-hmm. Same with the Reese. Like, I don't think... I don't think he's quite as prolific a fowler as, as Basemore, but, um, you know, he's still a guy who tends to play physically but moves well laterally. But the point being is, like, if your point of attack defenders are – your best point of attack defenders are 20 to 24 minutes per night, guys, like, that leaves you with half the game where you're kind of struggling. And so um, I think, as you mentioned, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't really considered the switching part of it. Obviously, you've thought much more in depth about this team than I have, but um, <laughs> I think that's an in- interesting point there. Um, but I do want to talk a little more – you know, kind of closely about, you know, THT, because I did mention they did give him a you know, size of a contract that I do think he will abs like, you know, I know he hasn't been a consistent rotation guy yet, but I think there's, there's absolutely a chance that he is considerably better by maybe even halfway through next year or, you know, halfway through the second year of his deal than most guys who make that much money. Um, even if, you know, even if for now it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a show of faith and investment, which I think is, is worthwhile, but like, What's like? What's his role? Like, what's his path to being a legit rotation guy? Because he had some rotation minutes last year, but like the Lakers were so injured that it was tough to know. Like, was was it legitimately because like they wanted to see what he like he had earned it, or was it more because like you know because they were in and out, the other guys were in and out of lab. So like, how close is he to be a legit rotation guy in your eyes? Like, what areas does he have to kind of clean up to really solidify himself? And then if he does find himself in that eight, nine, ten, ten man rotation. What kind of you know novel dimensions does he add to this team? Yeah, so THT to me is, has the highest variance of like what he can do this <laughs> season, right? Like all these other guys, we kind of know Malik Monk. Well, for him, maybe he has it as well, but we kind of know what he is as well. He's a scorer in this league. THT is like this like ball of clay that like is starting to form, <laughs> right? And the Lakers kind of see it, and also he's clutch as well. So like obviously <laughs> they have an they have an even closer kind of look, right? Clutch. Uh, it has a big investment investment in in him as well. I'll just say like the Lakers last year started twenty one and six, and it's very easy to forget that. And there are a lot of weird things with yeah, that. But yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, thank you. I, I, people always talk with us, and I'm like, and he, like when they got injured, it was like, what, like they were twenty one and six. I know, obviously, you know, but like, anyhow, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But like fifty six no, win good. pace in a seventy in a seventy two win in a seventy two game season. Like they're really good. Anyhow, let's talk more about THT and the the yeah. untapped potential he offers. Yeah, for sure. But like my only point with that is like they were twenty one and six. AD 
was still not himself, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, they were playing real games. These games started to matter and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there weren't really crowds everywhere. Some places had crowds. Some places didn't. Whatever. It's a weird NBA season. But still, 21-6 <laughs> and six is 21-6. and six. THT yeah. actually took Wes Matthews' spot. Like, and he was fully in the rotation. While they were winning, yeah. guys. So, like, yeah, that was so, something. Okay, yeah. So, so, so he was a legit rotation player. His shooting still was really up and down. But he's a guy, he was a full-time, like, offensive creator. I always say, like, other than Dennis Schroeder, he was the only other guy that could really dribble on our team besides LeBron. Like, they would really go to him a lot. Um, they would run a lot of, like, LeBron, THT ball screens when they in the second mm-hmm. units. And that's yeah, what would be their offense. And uh, LeBron would get trapped, give it a THT, and he'd have these long strides to the rim. You know, he'd have these, like, weird finishes, and he'd look at the ref trying to get the foul. It's like, you know, you're not there yet. But, like, you could see the flashes of stuff. And by the end of the season, he was really starting to he was really starting to pick it up. He was starting to finish through contact. But, again, his jumper is what really determines to me how big of a jump he takes, right, whether he mm-hmm. takes his huge jump or is he just this backup guard that can kind of play these minutes. So, And also his defense really – it got better as the season went on. He's still not like a good defender, but to me, like he's a he's fine at the point of attack. He gets lost off the ball as a lot of young mm-hmm. guys do. You know, what I mean, those these split second decisions that you have to make off the ball, yeah. he really gets in trouble with that. But he has a really nice length. There's clips of him like stripping Harden at half court, you know, and like just these like these like flashes of potential. And and Vogel has even said THT has more defensive potential to him than even offense. And that may just be coach speak, but like. I really feel like THC does have this defensive kind of potential to him that uh, if he focuses on, he can get. But again, on this team, it's going to be tough. You just threw another ball handler in in Russ, and, and THC's game is this ball handling, want to attack the rim, want to finish at the basket. But his jumper has to be there to me to get minutes on this team because just the way that it's built, um, it's going to be tough for him to attack the rim with like AD Russ already there, <laughs> LeBron as well trying to attack the rim. But he has the highest variance. Like they obviously believe in him. They've paid him as an investment as if they, they do. So. Um, that that's to me his game, but he was in the rotation last year and he had an amazing preseason. He was averaging like twenty something points, I think, in the preseason yeah. or something. Um, uh, being leading off first take and, and all these all these shows. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's he's an exciting prospect for sure. Yeah, and that and that's that's a fair point. Obviously, obviously, you you watch this team more often than I do, and so I just was I just never knew if it was you know an injury thing and whatnot. But uh, yeah, looking back at you know, his game log, yeah, I do recall he he was getting consistent rotation minutes, kind of most of that first start to the year mm-hmm. um, before things unfortunately went awry for for the Lakers. But uh, yeah, and he's such I mean, he's such a good finisher. Like you know, he's got such good like flexibility and fluidity with it. You know, he's got that great like inside hand finish on the left side. Yeah. Like, he can he can wrap around guys. He's like. He's like he's such a weird athlete. Like he's a good athlete, but he's so weird. Like because he's so fluid and like flexible, but not really like you don't think of it in that sense. But he's so good at getting to where he wants. And so if he can get that jumper to where it needs to be, it'll really kind of set things up. But that's a good point that you mentioned that you already have three guys who love to you know finish at the rim. And so I really need to kind of figure that out. But yeah, I thought like the off ball defense I thought was pretty porous throughout the year, but I definitely think it was better at the end of the season. You can kind of correct yeah. me, but I like it was still like a definitely a, I think he needs to clean up considerably but it was much better by like you know when he was getting rotation when it's in in may or uh what game was that did he have a nice game against the knicks late in the year i think it was like an overtime yeah. game. I don't, maybe he hit, hit the game winner or if he i can't he remember mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Two, two threes to, fin- to to win that was a big <laughs> game for us actually to avoid the play-in or something like that yeah it was actually a, an important game uh but yeah he had the he had the two big threes to win that one but I just remember, like, watching that game compared to maybe early in the year, like, I thought his defense was better. Like, I thought it was just something he had to clean up, but I, I was impressed by the growth you saw throughout the year. And, like, 
And it is important, mm-hmm. like he doesn't turn 21 until a month into the season or five weeks into the season. Like that can be used as like a, you know, kind of a, just a, a something to lean on too much. But like, but I definitely think it matters for him. A guy that clearly has gotten better in some regards and is going to continue to get better. So um, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see, to see him this year. Um, I'm actually going to write about him at some point. I want to get a better kind of idea of who exactly he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of was curious about him because as you mentioned, I do think he and kind of Malik Monk are these two guys who, um, could play pretty considerable, you know, roles if things break right for them, but could also, you know, be be guys who are too mistake prone despite kind of their their offensive potency to really carve out roles on a team that has a lot of guys who understand exactly who they are. Because this team obviously is a very veteran laden team. You mentioned superstar laden, which they absolutely are, but there there are a lot of guys who are established in their careers at this point. And um, yeah. THT and Monk aren't really those guys. But uh, just for uh, just for perspective on THT, like I think we were both in Vegas in summer league. He was younger than every person on the Lakers <laughs> summer league, so, and he was sitting on the sideline like a vet. You know what I mean? He was sitting courtside yeah. watching. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's funny. So that's just person's in perspective how yeah. young he still is uh, compared to to a lot of a lot of people in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, before we, one last thing before we get into some Sixers talk, um, you know, mm-hmm. I guess this is a pretty big thing. But like, what did you think were the team's kind of limitations last year offensively, maybe beyond shooting? that you think they did well to address? And then maybe schematically, what are you hoping to see that like these these new kind of additions bring? Because for, for all the praising we've done of Vogel uh, defensively, the coach, he is kind of, he definitely is not as adept offensively. So what are you hoping to kind of see that these uh, these new additions, you know, offer usher in schematically that wasn't there last year and, and kind of just your idea of kind of the offense and why it started last year beyond just the, the important caveat that, their two best players, you know, were not in the lineup together for very much of the season. Yeah, for sure. It was a strange year, obviously. I think, like, the just the outs, the huge kind of look uh, from it was Anthony Davis wasn't himself, right? And he was just never in any kind of rhythm, and that really, um, a lot of the players kind of relied on him, right? Like, him and Dennis Schroeder just never built any type of chemistry. Um, there was a stat that Dennis Schroeder had one law pass to AD all year. <laughs> and, um, you know, and Dennis Schroeder gets killed for that, but AD only had, like, 15 law passes all year you know what I mean that's Anthony Davis getting 15 dunks in like 39 games which just shows you his level of I don't want to say engagement just like just aggression right like he was very mm-hmm. much trying to just walk through and then he hurt himself in February try to well, if I can uh, if I can briefly you know enter, like I'm just looking at clean the glass career low rim frequency 32 percent like down 10 percent from the year prior 42 percent so um just just an quantifiable way to look at kind of maybe his his lack of, you know, aggression as a, as a scorer. But anyhow, didn't, didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to offer that little no, no, segment good, right yeah. there. And just to keep it on AD, like, to me, the litmus test with AD is, like, you just look at his blocks, offensive mm-hmm. rebounds. Like, that. to me, that shows whether he's engaged in the game. He has such a physical dominance that he can display, along with the basketball IQ, that, like, last year he was at 1.6 blocks per game. And I know those are just box score granular numbers, but that was his career low. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the first time since his rookie year he's averaged less than two blocks a game. Um, so that just kind of shows you kind of where he was. Um, but to me, that was the main thing that kind of took this team apart. Also with COVID, Dennis Schroeder got COVID, was in COVID protocol. I don't, I'm not sure if he got COVID, but he had COVID protocol right before the season ended. So he basically came back right before game one versus the Suns. And again, people like to attack on Dennis Schroeder. He had a great game two, game three, but once mm-hmm. AD went out. So like this, that team was very, like I call that team, it was very theoretical, right? Like it was very much like, yeah. oh, this this guy comes back. Oh, now like I wonder how the Lakers win. <laughs> When he yeah. comes back, and then it's like, oh, Marcus Saul starting. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I wonder what this looks like when you know we're healthy. And then you know AD goes down, and then you get Andre Drummond. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> different. Like, but I wonder what Drummond looks like next to AD. It's just it was all these yeah. moving parts, 
And then finally in the Suns, like, we, we got a few games of it healthy, you know. And then we went up 2-1, like, and everything yeah. was seeming like it was good. Uh, not to discredit the Suns, you know, they deserved to win that series. But just, like, it was all these parts that were moving and uh, mm. the team never did. And AD, you know what I mean? They're, like, there were a lot of there's, – there's excuses and then there's reasons, right? And then there's mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of that. AD has talked about how the short offseason really messed him up and, and all these kind of things. So, so to me, that's where the season went bad. Um, it's very easy to say hinds- and go in hindsight and like attack Rob Palinka for these moves, but they were kind of celebrated when they happened, right? The Dennis Schroeder mm-hmm. move was pretty much celebrated. Yeah, so uh, was the Harrow. Harrow. So was the Harrow one, even as an innings eater guy. Why is this such a hard thing to say for some reason? <laughs> right. But yeah, right. you're absolutely right. And just with the connection, you guys got Danny Green, right? And Danny Green was another guy who got a lot of flack in LA. I mm-hmm. felt like over. He got too much flack, you know, missing that one shot in game five. But we <laughs> we missed him. You know, Danny Green's a mm-hmm. smart defender, and, he, and he's a guy that you don't just replace right away. You know what I mean? Like, that's some, mm-hmm. that's a skill that you have to replace somewhere. So there's a lot of moving parts. I thought we missed Dwight Howard as well. We'll get into him, I'm sure. Um, so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I saw that, how last season went. Yeah, and I think just with Danny Green, like, understanding how to play off of superstars is legitimately a skill, and Danny's basically done his entire career. Like, I think he even mm-hmm. played with LeBron back in Cleveland to start his career. He's obviously played with Duncan, Kawhi, uh, you know, LeBron, AD, Joel now. Um, it's a skill, and he absolutely brings that. And, I mean, just going back to AD, though, I mean, you just look at, like, so many different statistics, like uh, like career-low block percentage. And as you mentioned, like, block percentage is, is uh, just an extent, is just a continuation of blocks per game. But, like, it, it you, have to, you have to contextualize it, right? And so you know with AD, like, his activity level can be borne out to an extent yeah. through that number. And so that's that's not, like, we're not just looking at this without – the film. So I think that's an important thing there, but like, even like true shooting, like his lowest relative true shooting, um, he was 1.3, 1.3 points, sorry, 1.6 points below league average last year. Um, and just raw true shooting was his lowest number, um, you know, since or ever, like 55.6 is only other years, you know, at that around there were 55.9 in 2015, 16 and 55.9 as a rookie, um, you know, almost a decade ago. So, uh, I think you just see all of that, like just the settling for more jumpers and maybe it was because of, you know, just the injuries and whatnot and, and all that. And, and he was asked to do so much, you know, in, the, in that playoff run and whatnot on both ends. And rightfully so, I mean, because he's a superstar. But, um, you know, you, when you don't get that level of, you know, recovery, like not everyone is is uh, LeBron or, or Jimmy Butler. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy missed <laughs> right. time last year, too. But obviously Jimmy turned in a fantastic year before uh, a very poor playoff showing. But point being is like that, you know, it wears on guys. And so. Uh, I mean, you look at you just you look around. I mean, not everyone's even Jokic. I mean, Jokic didn't play in the finals, but that dude was just trucking along. So um, recovery is important, even if you know certain guys make it look easy or easier uh, or less challenging. Right. I think is the best way to phrase it. Um, it's important. So yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of see what he brings this year. I mean, he's such a good player, and I feel like every year you know it's like kind of this. You have this kind of this trio, this big, this big man trio, right? Who are all you know have staked their claim as the best in the league, whether it's Joel, Jokic, or AD. And it feels like. Every year, it's kind of the flavor of the month, right? You know, to to end last season, it was or to end two years ago, it was AD. Last year, you know, it was Jokic versus Embiid. I think Jokic kind of you know had a little bit of the edge because he won MVP and went up. But both were very good in the playoffs for the most part. You know, maybe a few couple of years ago, maybe it was Embiid. You know, all these different things like uh, like maybe after the Toronto year, it was Embiid. Maybe um, so it's just funny. It feels like after every year, after every month, it's a new one, and I think it just goes to show you. Um, how difficult it is to kind of rank these guys without context, but uh, that's a bit of a tangent. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to kind of see what AD brings this year. I think you know he's definitely getting, you know, I think in some circles a little bit you know underrated based off a really weird year, but I think he's absolutely in for a, for a good year or a great year, honestly, just based off kind of you know having a longer time to recover and kind of the the way that the Lakers reshaped their roster to kind of lighten the load offensively and 
maybe we'll, maybe we'll get finally get the the defensive player of the year uh, season from him. And that's not to say he's never been capable of it, but uh, maybe we finally get it where he, he wins that award. So um, yeah, let's. I think that's a, a lot of good Lakers talk, but I do want to get in some Sixers talk because obviously this is a Sixers you know centric podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to kind of know what was your impression of, of Drummond in LA last year. I know it was again it was a very weird season. I love the way you phrase it, kind of a hypothetical team. That's the way I kept I kept looking at the Lakers that exact way all season. But um, what did you make of his time in LA and kind of what what do you think he can bring? Where did maybe he maybe the roster fall short for him? Where did he fall short? Just kind of your your perception of what Drummond is at this stage of his career. Yeah, so so it's interesting. Obviously, Drummond was a guy that you know Laker fans were kind of over with after the playoffs. They were kind of mm-hmm. kind of done with him. Um, he's another guy. It's interesting. I'd love your take on this because I feel like. You know, with centers in the NBA, it's obviously a lost position, right? It's pretty much becoming more and more specialized as centers mm-hmm. go. Um, unless you're like this offensive fulcrum, like the three guys you mentioned, right? Uh, AD, not as much, but Jokic and Bede. Both of the guys are offensive fulcrums. Mm-hmm. Embiid, also a defensive monster. Um, to me, like in the modern game, your center has to at least do three things. They have to They have to be able to protect the rim or they have to be a lob threat, or they have to be able to space the floor, right? They have to do at least one of those things. If you do two, you're probably paid really well. Like Jared Allen just got this huge contract, right? Mm-hmm. He does like two of those things. Andre Drummond doesn't really do either of those. So it's it's a, such a tough kind of fit, especially with the spacing that the Lakers had. Mm-hmm. He's also not a great finisher either, right, at the rim. He's mm-hmm. one of the worst finishers for a big. So it's all these kind of factors in there. Like to me, his skill, again, is like he's this like, agile big who can kind of move his feet right and he's kind of switchable as well and that's the idea of Andre Drummond and again going back to my like last year Lakers team was so theoretical it was so like okay fit this guy next to a superstar defender in Anthony Davis this guy that can switch out on the perimeter and it never really worked because AD never really got to play with Drummond in any kind of large kind of facility there but uh yeah like it's tough to see how the Lakers kind of stint went obviously didn't go well um, he wasn't able to. He wasn't really able to finish. Even playing next to LeBron, he, his finishing numbers were, were kind of low. Um, but mm-hmm. I think, like in in Philadelphia, he'd be a backup big, and I think that is his role. Come in. He mm-hmm. is still a great. He is still a great rebounder, so he will rebound. Um, he's not. Again, he's not great protecting the paint, but he's a guy who can switch out and kind of uh, switch on the guards uh, when when he can. And that's kind of where he is. And I think, like at the minimum contract, that's who he is. But it's kind of crazy. He was an all star, what like <laughs> a, like four or five years ago. But I feel like the game has changed so much since then where, like, even the center position has evolved to what it is now. But, yeah, I'd like your your kind of take on that as well because that's where I feel like the center position is now. It's like either you have those three skills or you don't. And even, like, not bringing it back to the Lakers, but a guy like Marcus Saul, right? The Lakers mm-hmm. are – it feels like trying to move on from Marcus Saul or Marcus Saul is moving on from the Lakers or whatever. Marcus Saul can space the floor but not really, right? And he's also turning 37. And so, like, those skills kind of – are not there anymore and that's why it's just interesting for a guy like Andre Drummond who's not even 30 yet I don't believe I think he's like 27 or something um 20 he just turned 28 last month I believe yeah and it it already feels like he's getting kind of pushed out the league right even though he was Mm -hmm. a star and and an all-star whatever so so yeah that's my kind of overarching take on the Andre Drummond experience in LA yeah and I think you know the, the idea of Drummond made sense, at least offensive, like on both ends, honestly, as a signing for the Lakers, because one, defensively, you can you can empower him to be that guy who takes risks because you know you're going to be, you know, reinforced by LeBron on the back line or AD on the back line. So it makes sense to maybe play him more aggressively, uh, you know, in pick and roll coverage and things like that. Um, but obviously, he didn't get to he didn't get to have that personnel around him very much, and so. Like I, I like the signing. I don't like. I'm like. I think it's totally fine. Like he's right. You know. He. I mean, like 
you know, we'll talk about Dwight. Like, I think he is better than Dwight. Like, I, I don't think Dwight was a bad signing by any means. And I think, you know, the fact that Dwight really liked playing in L.A. And he liked playing in Philadelphia. He talked about that. He had a really nice Instagram post, I think, mm-hmm. too. Um, but they just didn't have kind of the – didn't have the ideal infrastructure for Dwight offensively. You know, Dwight's the guy who really needs kind of that pick-and-roll partner. Um, and they didn't really have that in Philadelphia. So I think Drummond makes more sense. Again, he needs that, too. But I think he's just he – just, I think he's just a better player. Um, even if I like, I, I don't think it's, I'm not like saying the Lakers anything wrong, but I just think he, he's, he's an upgrade this stage. Again, it's a fairly minor upgrade because you're looking at a backup center who's going to play at most like 12 minutes a night in the playoffs. So like, I mean, mm-hmm. even if he's a notably, notably better player than Dwight, like the impact won't be a substantial margin there. But um, yeah, I like the signing. I've talked about it on a few podcasts and streams. I think it makes sense. Um, Drummond obviously has his faults, and there will be times when Joel sits out, and you have to, you'll Sixers fans will not be very enthused to watch Drummond play for 35 minutes a night, and I get it. Um, but I think you know in that backup role, he'd really be useful because, like, I don't know, I would have to like rank all 30 centers, but I don't think he's either. He's kind of he's in there somewhere, or he's he's kind of just on the peripheral of that. And so getting that guy as a backup center, you know, for your guy who's for your superstar who's going to miss, you know, 15% of the games, 20% of the games, whether he's injured or just maintenance, it makes sense. So. Um, you know, that's kind of my, my, my stance on things, but um, like, yeah, do you have any questions about, about the Dwight side? Or I guess we can continue on this, but like we can get into the Dwight stuff as well, but didn't mean to cut you off. Apologies. Oh, no, you're good. I was going to say, like, Andre Drummond, like, the Lakers kind of promised him a starting spot, right, as mm-hmm. well. I think mm-hmm. to get him on the buyout market, he was on the buyout market. Mm-hmm. He does a couple of frustrating things. He'll, like, do, like, he'll have the ball at the top and just decide <laughs> to do it behind the, behind the bad dribble, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, up and under layup for no reason. And it's just like, you know, there's no reason for that. So there's some frustrating moments. He does have some kind of like guard kind of skills, right, where he can <laughs> dribble. Um, it just kind of doesn't go together for some reason sometimes. So I think like with the if he has the spacing with him, maybe it'll work. But um, but yeah, that's kind of obviously. I think you're right. I think Drummond should fit well. I think a backup role is perfect for him. Mm-hmm. Just come in for a few minutes, um, try to dominate the boards because um, he can still rebound. Like that's his that's his real NBA skill to me. Like that the, the rebounding is uh is legit mm-hmm. and then from there i think you're right he'll be a he'll be a, he should be a service so backup big for philly yeah and I, I i've talked about it on multiple podcasts but you get a lot of the same pros and cons of dwight you mentioned kind of the confidence and ball skills you'll get you'll you'll see the same <laughs> thing with dwight at times if he's, if he's yeah. maybe he'll have a smaller role but um yeah dwight had uh he he tried to kind of do the uh the fake dho that draymond or kelly Linux loves and that's <laughs> not really something that that Dwight can do, and I'm sure we'll see some of it from Drummond again. Because, um, but I think Drummond's a better DHO partner. He's a better passer. Like they'll run, they love running DHOs yeah. with with Seth Curry and even Tobias to an extent. They'll run some stuff with Maxi this year. But um, so I think you know the, the offensive rebound again. Dwight is an incredible offensive rebound in his own right. Like you mentioned, kind of Russell Westbrook's offensive rebound. I'm just thinking about some weird lineup where they for some reason they have the three stars plus Dwight on the floor <laughs> and they have a 74 percent rebound <laughs> rebounding rate out there, uh, zero space in the you know. But, you know, all the zero spacing rating or whatever. But uh, I think that would be kind of kind of funny. I just thought about that earlier. But uh, yeah, I think Drummond's fine. I think he's you know you gotta play on some of the strengths of you know, a lot of the strengths of Dwight and some of the weaknesses, but with a little more uh, refinement there. But um, yeah, I'm happy to you know we talk about Dwight as well. Kind of you know what to I mean you know to an extent about what to get with Dwight. You watch him for an entire year. Just you know I mean he's a he's a Laker you know less than a year ago. So um, <laughs> do you have any questions about maybe kind of anything about Dwight that I could answer for you? We could talk through. I'm happy to. Happy to provide my insights on the Dwight Howard experience after one year as a Sixer. 
Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because Laker fans really wanted Dwight back. It was such a weird kind of exit for him. Um, mm-hmm. I think he tweeted like he was coming back and then yeah. uh, he left. I think they kind of went with Marcus Gasol there. Um, and obviously now he's back. This is his third stint in L.A. I want to ask you because I, I see a lot of people complain about I think it was the Simmons-Thibault-Dwight lineup, <laughs> uh, right? Is that is that? Yeah, the yeah, that, that, that was, was the thing they ran uh, <laughs> a, good, a good amount. No, not sorry, a good amount. It's positive. Uh, far too often, I would say. But ha- yeah. <laughs> You think that's because, like, I guess, because to me, like, you know, obviously Simmons is maybe the biggest NBA story right now that's going. Um, but, like, to, but to me, Ben Simmons isn't the, like, give the ball to him in the half court, have him run, you know, ball screen actions and then kind of create for the lob there, right? Simmons is more of, like, a transition point guard, mm-hmm. almost like a – he's better than Lonzo probably in, in, in transition, but, like, that type of point guard, mm-hmm. right? He's probably a point guard in transition and, like, a power forward in – uh, in the and half a, court, an elbow, a post, a post hub in the half court at times too. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that why you think kind of the because the Dwight lineups in LA were were really good actually, and he was a huge part of that 2019 title team, and uh, he was actually starting a lot of games. People forget Javale kind of got benched, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean he started some games in the finals, especially um, when they wanted to go big. Uh, so do you think that's why kind of uh, the Dwight thing wasn't as effective as he was um, on the Lakers, or or how did you see kind of the Dwight experience in, in Philly? Yeah, I, I would, I'm going I'm to try and pull up the numbers, from, like how often they ran that lineup in the playoffs. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it was something they ran a good amount in the regular season um, because you couldn't I mean you couldn't play Joel and Dwight together, uh, of course. But uh, I think it was more tied. Like I think so. Largely, I I think Doc Rivers deserves the brunt of responsibility here because like at a certain point you had to realize that like Doc like Dwight just wasn't fit for the second round. Um, you know he's just too mistake prone. Whether it's an illegal screen, it's a push in the back, it's a goaltend, um, it's trying to do one of those fake DHOs. Um, like Dwight was a fine like Dwight was legitimately a entirely serviceable backup center in the regular season. Like that's something I want Lakers fans to know. Like he you will be yeah, at the very least you will get a five who can give you quality minutes in the regular mm-hmm. season, but. He just like he's just too mistake prone. Like he's not really a discipline. You know, he's not really kind of a fundamentally sound player. Um, you know, as a backup, Actually. which is kind of what you need in the playoffs. And so, like, I'm trying to pull it up here quickly and clean the glass, but um, I think it was less tied to those lineups. And, and but, but some of it, which is just kind of tied to this idea, is that like they just didn't have the personnel for him. Like they didn't have a, a secondary creator to you know get Dwight the ball you know, as on pocket passes on rolls and things like that to to feed him lobs. Like a lot of a lot of offense just came on offensive rebounds because, you know, it'd be Shake Milton or George Hill or Furcon or Tyrese Maxey throwing the ball at the rim and mm-hmm. Dwight would gob- gobble it up because he's an incredible offensive rebounder still at this stage. But um, largely I think it's it's tied to Dwight's own faults, but it looked worse because Doc stuck with him in a way he shouldn't have. And, like, I mean, for all of Simmons' struggles in that series, it would have made much more sense to, like, try him with the backup five, which is something that I, I was calling for throughout the entire year. But basically, like, I – I, like, I'm not saying that Simmons is optimized as a five, but I think as a backup five at times, it would have made some sense to get him in there, especially in that second round. Even though he was struggling mightily, I just think I'd rather go down with your kind of your all-star, right, than, than Dwight, who's on a, a veteran's minimum contract. And so um, some of it's Dwight, some of it's Doc. You know, a lot of it is Doc holding on for too long, and some of it is just they didn't really have the perimeter creation to, you know, maximize Dwight as a roller and, and, and whatnot. And so kind of his – his mistakes looked even worse and he had a little bit too much free reign to make those mistakes. So that's kind of where I stand on him. I stand on him, but I am curious to kind of see how he fares uh, on a team that has, you know, one of the preeminent creators in LeBron and another, you know, very good ball handler, or at least very guy who can create a lot. Uh, some of it's not always great, but a guy who can make a lot of stuff happen in, in Russ, but usually it's great. I don't want to. Mention. <laughs> yeah. And I think the team did miss him. I mean, it was kind of like we, 
uh, we let Dwight go and kind of brought in Montrez Harrell, right, who has his own faults, right? Montrez is a guy who gives you that offense. But, again, like, I know Dwight is very mistake-prone, but he is a high he – yeah, he's a really high basketball IQ defender, right? He still knows where to be. Um, he can still be a shot blocker at times, and I feel like the Lakers kind of did miss that. I think 17 to 18 minutes is perfect, kind of what he played last year in Philly. It's what he played in L.A., um, I was looking at the numbers. His his field goal percentage did drop quite a bit. So he was like at seventy three percent for the Lakers. He was down to like fifty eight um, in Philly. Uh, but but again, uh, I'm not sure like the the main reasonings for that. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he needs a high level playmaker next to him, a kind of feeding him um, lobs, and that really gets him going. He's a guy that like once he gets that first lob dunk, he starts screaming and starts you know <laughs> just starts like getting into the game kind of that way. And, and he's like a real emotional kind of leader. And he was for the Lakers in 2019, especially. I I always said they missed him almost off the court as much as they did on the court. Just a just another guy to kind of get the team kind of going. And and now this team has a bunch of personalities, a bunch of you know different dudes who've uh, been stars in the league and stuff like that. But but yeah, I think I think Dwight. It was good for him to come back. Um, they they missed him last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know he was he was definitely a leader in. And in, uh, in Philly as well, like he really liked being here. He had a really infectious personality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how. That's, I mean, it's been really cool to see Dwight really embrace this role. You know, as a veteran, it took some time for him. And understandably so, when you go from a little MVP candidate, it takes some time sure. to adjust to that. But uh, yeah, and I think you know when you look at kind of the field goal percentage drop, like I think the easiest way to, to summarize it is like like Joel was their best creator, but she would never play with Joel, right? They didn't so. The guy who's playing alongside most often as a perimeter creator went from LeBron to Tobias Harris. Tobias has built himself <laughs> into a fantastic player, but he's just he's just so many tiers below LeBron, and especially yeah. as a passer. Like I mean, like he just isn't quite. He's just nowhere near. I mean, no one is. But like that's one of Tobias's kind of. That's one of the biggest things holding Tobias back from being that All Star caliber wing is the passing. I think offensively, and so that's an easy way to put it. And you know, or summarize it there to an extent. Yeah, I think he still can be a good shot blocker. He definitely has a tendency to really chase blocks to a fault. A lot of guys do, um, but I think he sometimes does it too often. Um, mm-hmm. But For but sure. yeah, I think I think he absolutely will, will be in a good spot. Like he he wanted to be he wanted to be in Philly. He wanted to be in LA. But I think LA is a better infrastructure, um, and just you have more confidence when you've been a part of a title team. So I think he'll be good there. I think drum, you know, obviously like. And Drummond will be good in, in in Philadelphia as well. I think this was, you know, it wasn't obviously a trade or anything, but like it was effectively a swap. So um, right. I think there, it's it's good spots for both both the player and the team on each side. And so I'm excited to see how it goes. But I think we've covered a lot of really awesome things. Um, Roger, anything you want to plug? Anything you know we want to cover before we uh, we hop off? Really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon or this evening. Excuse me. Well, I just wanted to ask you about like because I have a because obviously Ben Simmons. I kind of touched on him. I feel like he's the biggest story right now. To me, like, he's going through this, like, phase of that players do. They go from, like, overrated to underrated to over. To me, it's like he's becoming very underrated, right? I feel like we're using kind of four or five games in a playoff series to kind of judge a man's whole career. Um, like, how do you think the Ben Simmons kind of uh, saga ends here? Because I think the way that we view him on NBA Twitter or, you know, us as podcasters is different than, like, what the league views him as. Like, what, what do you – like, what do you – how do you see the Ben Simmons? Because I, I think I'm higher on Ben Simmons than most people are. Like, to me, I feel like these teams like Sacramento or Minnesota not trading for Ben Simmons is kind of crazy to me. I understand you wouldn't want to throw your best player. Maybe you don't throw in De'Aaron Foster or something like that. But to get a star of that level at 25, locked in for four years, those guys don't come on the market, right? Those guys usually don't get them to, like, they're 29, 30. So I just wanted your quick thoughts on that because I think – it's really interesting hearing all the national people talk about it, but you're you're more kind of uh, detailed into into Philly. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he definitely has become underrated in some respects, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he clearly has his faults, and I, you know, I've I've been talking. I mean, I've been podcasting about it for three months now in some capacity, <laughs> nice. um, and I and I've been critical. Anyone who's listened to my work knows that I, you know, I think a lot of his shortcomings rest on him. Beyond, and you know, I, yes, he would benefit from playing with a legit premier ball handler. Um, you know, he's really only played with Jimmy, you know, for three quarters mm-hmm. of a year. Um, but I, but I think, you know, I don't know exactly how it ends. I think he'll go to a team probably that, you know, uh, is in kind of that phase where they need more star talent, whether it's San Antonio, Minnesota. It doesn't sound like Sacramento is likely based on some of the reporting over the last week. But those, you know, I've, people have asked me about this the last couple of weeks. But, like, I think Minnesota and San Antonio are the teams that I think make the most mm-hmm. sense to go for them because they consolidate some young guys and some picks to land them, and they're just not going to get that level of talent otherwise. Um, but also they have some young talent and complementary talents, some picks that would entice the Sixers. So those are where I see things going. But I absolutely think in some regards he's become underrated. Um, but I but I think, you know, there's a fine line there. Like I think he's roughly a you know a top 40-ish guy. You know, I think given kind of mm-hmm. his faults in the playoffs, you got to have to – Taper off a little bit. I know he's been an all-star the last three years, but you have to kind of account for the playoff stuff. And a lot, and a lot of guys don't even get the luxury of making the playoff. Like that's an important thing, right? Like, you know, he's been a, he's been on a team that has title pressure to an extent every yeah. year. You know, like they made that great run late in the year. His rookie season, people thought they were maybe a title contender given the way the Cavs looked. And then year mm-hmm. two, they get Jimmy. Year three, you know, he's, he's he's injured, but they have you know they kind of think they would be good. And then year four, obviously the number one seed. So, um, yeah, I kind of that's kind of how I view things. Um, but I, I hope that kind of summarizes it for you. But it's it's a complicated situation. But I generally have become a little bit more pro Ben Simmons as the narrative has maybe gone overboard. Uh, for, for sure, yeah. And I know we gotta go. I was just gonna like the conundrum is that usually stars don't ask out of like title teams, right? So usually like those teams are already kind of going to bad. Philly can't just trade them for picks, right? They're they're still in championship contention. They need like a star back. So I just think it's a fascinating kind of saga. It, it's so different than. Most, I think, star Ben Simmons isn't a superstar, but you know he's still, uh, like you said, top forty player in the league. So I just think it's it's an interesting saga here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think you know one of these days we'll finally have the final Ben Simmons trade discussion <laughs> podcast here. But uh, Raj, really appreciate you coming on. Um, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your work. We're getting closer and closer to the season, so um, Lakers are sure to be a. a preeminent team this year as always with LeBron but uh give yourself a little shout out here appreciate you coming on of course thank you for having me man I uh, appreciate you having me um you can follow me on twitter at unwritten rules um last e is a three and a follow with lakers outsiders um i'll having uh, videos dropping uh doing a bunch of videos on uh westbrook uh hopefully before um the season starts here so i'm excited to get into it um and yeah thanks again for having me man absolutely um for everyone listening i'll be back later this week Talk about something. I don't know exactly what. We're kind of, again, I keep saying we're in the, the weird part of the offseason, but we're getting closer and closer to some, some real-life new information to discuss at some point. But uh, appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate Ross for hopping on. In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Talk to all of you again soon.